morning, everyone. Two words. One, thank you. And secondly, partnership. Uh, we built a relationship with uh, Crossway. And we just left the Brea campus and had a wonderful uh, time seeing some of our friends and, and even uh, sharing the word of God. Uh, before I share the message that God put on my heart, I want to tell y'all a, a couple of uh, funny stories. And, and um, some years ago, Pastor Steve and I, we sat down, we began to brainstorm. And, and so we thought, maybe we'll do a basketball camp. And so, you know, I, I got to confess now, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, a group of Asians coming to do a basketball camp right now. I'm just, I'm just confession, confessing. Confession is... Uh, and so then uh, we thought, well, maybe we'll, uh, on the last day of the camp, have a little com uh, a competitive game, basketball game, between Canton folks and, and the Asians, right? Well, lo and behold, the Asians beat us for all seven years, man. And, and so once it really came to me uh, to try to stack our team, because, and by the way, we were set up, man. I, the, you guys brought some of the biggest Asians I've ever seen in my life, man. And I'm thinking, wow, what's up with this, right? But on the last game that we had, um, Pastor John, you know, w w we were up by one point, And Pastor John got a pick. And he shot a three-pointer, man, and, and beat us the last game. God, dog. But, yeah, indeed, uh, it's a pleasure, you all, for us to have uh, been partnering with you all for the last number of years. Uh, we do welcome you all to come and be with us in Canton, Mississippi. Um, if you have your Bibles, it used to be, uh, we would say, uh, turn to Mark. 10, but I, I guess pull it up on your phone or however you do it. Mark chapter 10, um, the scriptures have already been read, and um, uh, a while back I was just having my daily devotion, and um, I came across these verses. And the one verse that stood out to me, which is what we have titled the, the lesson, uh, Jesus said to him, you know, there's one thing that you lack, one thing that you lack. And, and I began to um, wonder, did I push this back too far? Oh, okay. 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 He's doing what I just, <laughs> I moved. <laughs> That's fine. We, we can handle that, okay? Um, but anyway, uh, this, this, this one phrase came just really uh, spoke to my heart about the fact that there was one thing that hindered this rich young ruler from experiencing God's blessing. And, and, and I thought maybe we would share a little bit about that this morning. Uh, if you would allow me just to have a quick word of prayer again. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity. Father, this is your word to us. So we ask you, Father, to open our eyes up that we may see wondrous things from your word. But more than that, Father, help us not to be nonchalant. Help us, Father, to even ask the question, what will you have me to do? 
How can I apply this to my life? Then, Father, we'll be careful to thank you uh, for all that you are going to do in these next few minutes. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you may have heard uh, of an older book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. The Master Plan of Evangelism. One of the things that um, Robert Coleman uh, does, he, he lays out a number of principles by which Jesus trained his disciples. One of the principles that Robert Coleman in his book lays out is one called association. He says that Jesus, first of all, there was a selection of men to be a part of his group of disciples. But, but beyond the selection, there was also the association. In other words, uh, here's what he says, uh, Robert Coleman. He says, Jesus made a practice of being with his disciples. Following him was his way of training them. Knowledge was gained by association. Uh, we here in the West, sometimes we get things a little bit confused in that we have approached training in the way in which I'm doing it now, where one teacher stands in front and one teacher dis disseminates a whole lot of information. With Jesus, his model of teaching was to allow his and observe him and listen to how he and watch him as to how he handled situations. Therefore, training came from being associated with that we have in front of us today is one that probably would fit into that category in that Jesus had just allowed his disciples to see him reaching out to the little children. He had said, allow the little children to come unto me, whereas some of his disciples said, don't let the children come unto him. Now we approach another story, another setting where there is a man, a man we're told young, rich, and a ruler. And I'm going to add a couple more. Tall, dark, and handsome. Uh, young ladies, are there any single women in the audience? Young, rich, ruler, tall, dark, and handsome. There are some things we want to see about the man in just a second. And we'll talk about three things concerning the man that I want you to get and make application to that. But I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about how Jesus... He always had time for people. It says here he was going out on the road 
one came running. Now, if you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus often tried to get his disciples to understand. On one occasion, they were tired. Now, don't be too, don't be haters on the disciples. On one occasion, they were tired, and, and they said, look, send the folks away. We're tired, and what have Jesus? Nope, you send them down, and, and you feed them. Here, I'm sure they were thinking the same. We've been ministering. Can we maybe let this man set up an appointment to see you, Jesus? When we're not as taxed, when we're not tired, but Jesus took time for this man. And I want us to learn something from this, you all. Jesus, not only did he always have time for people, hello, busy Irvine, but Jesus never saw people as an interruption. I don't know about you, but so often I have my schedule made, have my calendar laid out, and when something unexpected it happens, I find myself reacting in a non-Christian kind of way, thinking, you weren't on my calendar. My wife and I, we laugh because at In His Steps Ministries, um, everyone in, in, at the office knocks except my wife. And I said, baby, is it possible for you to just, she said, you know, I'm not going to do it. And she hadn't done it for the last many years, right? And I should know better, right? <laughs> She's not going to do it. But Jesus never saw anyone as an interruption. Fix that in your head as we enter into this story that he had time for people. Could it be that God is, even on that little bit, he's speaking to somebody here uh, this morning. But this man, let, let's look at this man, th this young rich ruler. It says that one, he came. But not only did he come, he came with a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. We want to talk about that. He came with a sense of urgency, but he came also to the right source to help him with his need. He came to Jesus. He came with a sense of urgency. He came to the right source and then Thirdly, he came asking the right question. These are some pretty good things to remember about this man. Look with me, if you would. It says that he was going out on the road, and one came, this young rich ruler. He came, but he came running. Now, most of us who have status. Most of us who have status, we're very concerned about how people perceive us. But in this case, there was something stirring apparently in this young man's heart. He didn't care about what or how people perceived him. He didn't, he didn't care about the didn't care about them seeing him running to try to get to Jesus. One has said, and St. Augustine, St. Augustine said that all of us, those of us, those who don't know Jesus, have never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that there is a sense of restlessness in us. St. Augustine said this about that 
there being a sense of restlessness, he says, God, you have made us for yourself. Oh, God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I don't, I've learned not to assume anything. I, could it be that even here in this building today, that there has been a, a sense of emptiness, restlessness in the hearts of some who are seated in, seated in this place? And could it be that God's Holy Spirit has been saying to someone in this room that you need to get in a hurry and deal with that restlessness in your heart? It could be a restlessness that's saying to you that your relationship with God is not intact. It could be a sense of restlessness because you need to get something settled between you and another person, your spouse, your child. But St. Augustine says when it comes to our relationship with God, there's a sense of restlessness. C.S. Lewis one that many of us follow. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Apparently this young ruler it was beginning to dawn on him by the Spirit of God that there was more than money. There was more than prestige. There was more to life than having a lot of things, a lot of toys. So he came with a sense of urgency. At the other campus, in, in the office, the staff office, there's a big picture, enlarged picture of in his steps staff and board, some board members and, and then also some of the group members who came down two years ago. On the very left end of that picture, there's a picture of an older white gentleman and his wife. His wife died two weeks ago. She was, man, moving along, doing well, and she was ready for worship service, and, and something happened, and she began to re regurgitate in the, in the foyer. They take her to the hospital. The next day, she goes home to be with Jesus. A sense of urgency about this matter. Over my 30-plus years of ministry, I can tell you story after story where God has dealt with people's hearts, and some did not take it seriously. I have a young kid, graduated from Canton High School, 6'11", went on to Alcorn State University, did a year of school, came home, and he was walking with some friends on the west side of Canton, and he fell down and had a heart attack. Kid who was in, in good condition, man, did not know he had a, he had a hole in his heart. He falls down and he dies. I go to the funeral and, and at that funeral some 300, 400 kids gave their life to Jesus because of his death. A sense of urgency if the relationship with God is not right. Not only did he come with a sense of urgency, but he came to the right source, you all. 
Sometimes when we're dealing with things, we, we first of all, we go to the wrong source. Sometimes we hit the, hit the phone or the texting or what have you, and, and we call the wrong person. Jesus is the right source. <clears throat> when we sense there's a need of some kind that we can't explain, it says here again that he knelt down before Jesus. Jesus has been, he is, and he will forever be the right source, you all. We're living in, and many are beginning to try to help cause us to believe that these kind of things, that there's more than one way to God. Some would have us to think that he was just a good man and a good teacher, but he's not fully God. We know that our Bible teaches us that he's fully God, that he's the only way. We Listen to what the Word of God says. The Word of God says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I tell young people all the time, I say, you know, when it comes to God's word, let's stand on God's word. And I say to the young people, if we're going to be judged, let us be judged by people and not by God. Very, very important. But not only did he come with a sense of urgency, not only did he come to the right source, Jesus, but then also he came asking the right question. In this day and time, we, we must learn to ask the right question. Example, in 1981, excuse me, 1991 and 93, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Russia and Mike to be with Jerry Root, and we played uh, some American football, and, and that wasn't a smart idea uh, at age 31 and 33 to go try. But it, it was an opportunity, as the, as the leader said, you know, we, we have an opportunity to go knock the Russians down and then tell them about Jesus. Now, I don't know if that's, you know. But anyway, we went. And uh, while we were there, do some streak evangelism. I, well, we gave, brought, took some computers and did some things for some of the Christians over there. And while on the streets of Prague, I got approached by a black guy and a white guy. They, these two guys were walking together, right? And so when they approached, they began to speak in Czech. And I said to them, me, an American, me speak English. And so they got it. And then they began to speak English to me, right? But then I said, oh, you all are Jehovah Witnesses. And they says, yes, we're here witnessing for Jehovah. And they quickly said to me, but we believe the same thing you do. <laughs> I didn't ask, but they quickly told me, right, that they believe the same thing I do. So what has happened to some groups such as Jehovah Witnesses, and I'm not knocking, I'm making a point, that so often the question has been asked to just this one group in particular, uh, do you believe in Jesus? And their answer is yes. That's the wrong question. 
The right question is, what do you believe about Jesus? The right question is important, you all. This young ruler came, and he asked the right question. Listen to the question that they ask. He says, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, Matthew, if you read uh, the companion passage in Matthew, it does say that he asked, what good thing can I do? It does appear that he was steeped in legalism. It does appear that he was steeped maybe in, maybe even having a list of rules. Because if you notice in verse 18, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not Bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And this is what the young ruler said, y'all know it. And he answered and said to him, teacher, I've kept all of those, all these things. Now apparently he was steeped in legalism, or trying to work his way into heaven. He asked the right question. The question for you and I is the same. What is it that I can do? To enter the kingdom of heaven. The question is there's nothing that you and I can do. Because it's not a doing kind of thing. It's a thing that's been done. Let me say that again. It's not a doing kind of thing. It's a thing that's been done. What has been done according to John chapter 19 verse 30. Jesus says all that can be done has been it is finished. Jesus said. What was Jesus talking about? Jesus was saying, look, I have come, I have died, I have been buried, I have risen from the dead, it is finished. All that's left is for those who need salvation. One is to recognize their need for salvation. Because the Bible says all of us are sinners. To recognize that we are now we now can be saved by grace. It's Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith in a person, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for your sins. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in the one who died for them shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who would desire to be saved needs to recognize their need for salvation, that we're saved by grace now, that we can call upon the Lord. And the Bible says, whosoever call upon the Lord shall be saved. But, you know, I, growing up, and I don't know, and I'm learning, by the way, you all, that the Korean culture and, and African-American culture are similar you know, Pastor Paul, we get together, man, we chew the cud, and we have fun, and, and what have you. And I'm like, whoa, man, that's the same thing. Same thing in our culture. <clears throat> One of the things in African-American culture growing up, parents, here was their, their, their training process of their children. They would train us so well at home 
such that when we got in the public, all they had to do was look at us. Now, I don't know about you, all right? Now, as a child, you had to make a decision, right? You know, they already told you, now, don't get out there and clown me, right? Don't, don't, don't get in public, right, and embarrass me, right? And so they've already got, the, you got a few spankers at the house, right? And so you don't want to get a, a beat down in the public, right? You know, y'all know what a beat down is. I, I, yeah. You don't want to beat down out there in the public because they'll, they'll give you a beat down, all right? So in public, all they did, they would look at you like this. Now, this is the look they gave you. Had, if they had glasses on, either they would look at, look at you like that or they would pull them off and they'd do this to you, right? Now, you got to make a choice. Either you're going to sit up straight, move away from those little boys that's acting, acting up, <laughs> or... Just brace yourself, right? Because when you get home, you're going to get a beat down, right? So you're going to get a beat down, right? Notice what it says about Jesus. Look at it, y'all. Look at verse, tw- uh, at verse, look at verse 21. Lay your eyes on it. Here's what it said about Jesus. You know, Jesus, he, he, underst- he loves us when we, even when we're in our stuff, when we're deceived by the devil, right? When we're blinded by the devil thinking we can work our way into heaven. He, he has compassion on us. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 said, then Jesus looking at him. Can you imagine the look that Jesus gave him? It's probably the same look that Jesus gave those men who accused that woman of adultery. You know, he he wrote something on the ground. And whatever he wrote on the ground caused those men to ease away. Ease away because more than likely they had committed the same kind of sin, right? So he wrote, and can you imagine when he looked at them? And I'm going to dramatize it for you. When he looked at that one, he did this. He looked at another one. Right? It says he looked at the man in his stuff. The man who was, a, who had lo- who was loving his money more than God. The man who was loving his affluence more than God. More than God. He looked at him and had compassion. But notice what it says also in verse 21. And he loved him. Isn't it good, y'all, that God doesn't carry a big stick, a big old hammer? God loves us. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, what mess you're in. God loves you. And he wants to help us out of the stuff. He wants to come on this says he loved him and then he said there's one thing you like go go your way sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come and take up your cross and follow me but he the young rich ruler was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. One, Jesus wasn't saying that everybody needs to sell their house, their cars and everything and just get and give everything to the poor. Jesus was revealing this man's heart to him. Don't miss that. See, his look at him says that he knew everything about this man. He knew that this man loved something more than he was willing to love God. 
here's the point. He came. He came to the, with a sense of urgency. He came to the right source. He came asking the right question, but he refused to repent of that one thing. And that one thing hindered him. Listen to me, please. God knows our hearts. God knows our needs. He loves us. But we can have God or the gift that God offers on our terms. Don't miss that. God loves us, but we cannot have God and the gift that God offers on our terms. Mark chapter 1 verse 16 says, the beginning of entering into a relationship with God is to repent and believe. Repent. The word repent uh, is illustrated um, by a friend of mine, Jerry Root, the same guy who went to Russia. He's a big C.S. Lewis buff, and, and, and Jerry Root makes the, makes, tells the story of how when he was trying to win his girlfriend over, he went to um, a French restaurant. And you know how y'all, when you're trying to win, win your girlfriend over, right? Or your boyfriend, right? And, and so she knew French and he didn't. She could read French and he couldn't. And so she looked at the menu and she said, I want, and I think I'm pronouncing the word correctly, escargot. So in order to impress his girlfriend, he said, I'll just have the same. Now, realizing later what, what it was, he said, that he repented from a uh, word repentance in the Bible means to have a change of mind about something that leads to a different lifestyle, right? Uh, or, or a different action. So at this point, if you walk up to Jerry Root, Jerry Root's gonna tell you, I, I repented, don't, I have a change of mind about a cargo, and definitely I never will eat any again. And this gentleman's, in the case of the man in the Bible right here, he refused to repent, to have a change of mind about loving God more than, excuse me, loving money more than God. You can't, Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, you can't love God and love mammon at the same time. God, I want you more than anything else. That's where God wants us. I got a, there is a, a real life story that I want to tell you as I get close to end, ending here. And the young lady's name is Tangela Reed. Carolyn knows her, has worked with her. Tangela Reed is the mother of one of our kids who went through 10 years of In His Steps program and has now finished college and he's working on his graduate degree. First one out of his family to go to college and what have you. Tanjula Reed, while this kid was in our program, ended up, ended up um, coming to In His Steps because 
there was a restlessness in her heart. She brought her boyfriend, her live-in boyfriend with her. And we just began to love on her, love on her, her, her live-in boyfriend. And that day, she said as she cried, in so many words, there's a restlessness in my heart. Something is not right. I think I need to give my life to God. And she did that day. A week or so later, and please, this is an illustration to drive a point home, you all, that once you put God first, he'll do the rest. A week later, Tangela comes back to us, and she said to us, I feel a need to move out from living with this man that I'm not married to. We said nothing to her. The point is, as we close, we cannot have God on our terms, his terms. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But if we want to follow God with all of our heart, if we want to be his disciple, I leave this one last verse with us. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus teaching them how and what he wanted. He says, if any man choose to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross, and follow me daily. Let me read these last verses, and I'm done. Peter and the disciples, Peter and the disciples were standing there watching him dealing with this young ruler and finding that there, there was one thing, that this thing that the ruler, a young ruler was unable to give up, this one thing that he was unable to repent of, and, and he went away sad, and listen to what Peter said. He spoke up on behalf of the other disciples in verse 28. Then Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. And what, you know what God wants? God wants us to have that kind of attitude, you all, where we're willing to give up everything for him. Listen to this. We are not about following a bunch of rules. We love God because he first loved us. That's what this Christian life is all about, you all. Hey, we carry you all in our hearts. Thank you for the friendships. Thank you for the partnerships. And you're welcome in Kent, Mississippi, anytime. I often say, uh, because of the 12 years of ministry, uh, partnering with you all, uh, this is just a little closing joke, that every time I see some Asians in Mississippi, I want to run up and hug them. God bless you. We love you.